the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What are the marks of a healthy church? Where would we find those marks in Scripture? Well, among other places, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Let's check it out next. The marks of a healthy church, that gauge whereby we understand if we're doing good or not so good within the church. Several places we can go, like First to Second Timothy, Titus, but over the course of the next two programs, we'll spend our time here in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Seven letters, seven churches. Some churches doing good, some eh, not so good. And therein is where we find those marks. Let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard, for today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. I uh, want to speak today on the marks of a healthy church. The marks of a healthy church, and you may take it a step further, the marks of a healthy Christian. Um, And uh, we're going to let Dr. Jesus give the x-ray. And he's going to examine the church and put the stethoscope on. You know, I just went through a thing here recently. I started hurting uh, on my side and everything. And since I have a bad pancreas, I was a little alarmed, scared about it. Don't want anything in that area hurting me. But I thought it was internal organs uh, hurting me. So it got bad enough. That's the way it is with men. It's got to get bad enough uh, to go to the doctor. And so I finally got in there. So he ordered all these tests. And I had to have a CAT scan. And uh, then I I read the report the next day. He said, Mr. Howard, you have a fractured rib. And... uh, and, and they said, do you know how? I said, well, I, I know my wife's become more aggressive as she's gotten, <laughs> you know, you never know. They get carried away. And, uh, but I didn't know. I had no idea. Uh, but that x-ray, that's CAT scan, whatever it took them, and putting that dye through me, boom, just like that. And so I've been healing up from it. I still don't know how I did it. And I tell her to hug me a little bit easier. And uh, uh, I thought, you know what? This is Christ. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus, 60 years after Pentecost and the cross, about that time, uh, he gives us a progress report on seven churches. Seven churches. Someone has said that we are always one of those churches. That the conditions that was found in those churches uh, are probably typical of what's going on in churches over these uh, 
nearly 2,000 years. And so he, he looks at them uh, and he does three things. He, first of all, he commends them. And we want to look at that commendation to see the things that he considered. They were healthy. Uh, they were strengths. And so they're commended. Okay? And then he goes further than that. He starts offering his criticism or he critiques these various churches. Uh, and some, two churches, there was no criticism. Smyrna, a suffering church. And Philadelphia, uh, a church that was doing things right. And they were not ever, nothing that brought his criticism. And then, finally, he gives commands or think of it as prescriptions to the churches that aren't having good health, that are not uh, where they ought to be, and he prescribes what they ought to do. Now, what I'm going to try to do is move quickly. I've preached these churches before, but it took me 10 weeks. So what we're going to do is we're going to helicopter, as it were, through them, because I don't want to stay too long, and just get this overview of what church life was 60 years after the church began. What church life looked like, not to a church consultant, but to the head of the church, Christ, who has eyes like an x-ray machine. He looks through everything. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in your life, right? And he knows what's going on in this church. And we're not the only church on the block. They're all over the globe. And so Christ moves among the lampstands, examining, commending, critiquing, evaluating. Let's look at the churches and the commendations he gives. And these are the signs of good health. Let's begin with the church at Ephesus. Verse 2. I know your works. That's nice. Uh, at least they were doing something. Uh, Spurgeon said, it's the book of Acts, not the book of talk. Has your Christianity made you do anything? Has it made you ever learn to say amen in church? Uh, and, and you think about that. Uh, there's a famous line out of the Reformation that said, faith alone saves but the faith that saves is never alone. And James picks this up in James 2. A faith that produces no works, no good works. We're big to say as Protestants, you're not saved by works. Amen? Amen. But the faith that saves results in you doing works. I'll say that again. The faith that saves produces a people who carry out the, the assignment of Christ. I've got good works. For instance, give you an example. The Great Commission. The two missing words in the Great Commission are teach them to obey. All we talk about is go, disciple, baptize. Did you know verse 20 says, and teach them to obey everything I've told you. Uh, a faith without obedience is a faith that will not get you to heaven. Yeah, say, uh, I love Jesus. I just, you know, just heard recently, I love Jesus. I just like to rob banks. Well, you know, bless your heart. You need to be saved. You're not going to heaven on just saying, I love Jesus. 
When Jesus truly saves, he puts a willingness, a desire. He energizes you to be willing and to be doing of his good pleasure. Now, he commends them for their works, and I must go faster, right? Your toil and your patient endurance. And that patient endurance means your ability to remain under pressure. And that you're doing a good job of that. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So they were not tolerant towards evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you found them to be false. You're enduring patiently. You're bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. I wish he could say that about me any day of the week. Is that not wonderful? I mean, you're doing work. You're faithful. You're patient under trial, under test. Matter of fact, what did it mean? You have not become weary. Uh, as a church, they, they're doing all right. I would wish he would say that about us. Uh, are you weary of living for God? You wouldn't be the Ephesians church. Uh, are you engaged in doing any good works for his name? Uh, are you not doing anything? I find the most critical people in the church are doing nothing. My Lord. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't, uh, they say of the mule, you can't pull and kick at the same time. Make up your mind. Are you going to pull or are you going to kick? It's already convicting, isn't it? You, oh, I don't, like, I don't like the Sunday school class my child's in. Do you ever teach a class? We've got all kinds of people always telling us the ministries we ought to start. You know the main thing that starts ministry is people. People that have the burden. People that make themselves available. God gets ministry done through his people that are willing to work for him. It's, it's not rocket science. So, great commendation. We go on and we come to the church of Smyrna. And they're a church that is in suffering. And he says to them in 9, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty. That is physical, but you're rich, rich in God. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So they're obviously getting persecuted by the local Jewish unbelievers that are opposing the church. And they're coming against them. And he tells them, you're about to face a severe trial. It's going to last 10 days. Get ready for it. I'm going to be with you in it. And you're going to be tested. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Does God test his people? And God tested Abraham. Genesis 22.1. Take your only son. Your son Isaac. Go up to Moriah. Can you imagine God ever doing that to you? And when you get up there, put him on the altar, raise your knife, and be just, just seconds away from plunging it into his heart. God tested the man of God. And James has counted all joy when God decides to test you. Because he's going to work out and produce something in your character that freedom from tests will never never produce I never forget taking my father to hear an aspiring young preacher coming up and uh, we were coming home I, I asked him oh 
what's your appraisal of this aspiring young preacher that was kind of the rave in the group we were with. And he simply said, he simply said, once he has suffered, he will be worth listening to. But, but he's a novice. He knows little about life. He's got to have some great heartbreaks to ever be able to preach to the heartbroken. So God has some tests for all of us to make us more effective. And he comforts us in our trials that we may comfort others. But this church, uh, he said, you get made to be severely tested, but you're doing what I want. I'll get you through the test. He goes to Pergamum, and at Pergamum, he says in verse 14, uh, well, let's take it back. He said, I know where Satan's throne is. Can you imagine saying, we've started a local church where Satan has a throne. His headquarters is where we plant the church of Pergamum. It's satanic headquarters. Yet you're holding fast my name. This is courage. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Just read a thing where George Barnard did an appraisal of churches across the United States. And in Barnard's report, he said, the most unchurched area in the United States is the San Francisco Bay Area. And then he had another category, the most de-churched area of the country. That means they went to church, but they quit church. They've had enough of church, the San Francisco Bay Area. Where do we live? Yeah. Satan has a throne in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we dare to have a church. We dare have a church. This is satanic territory. They hate God as a whole, and they don't know God, and they're in the midst of perishing. And God told us to come here, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Tell them Jesus is abundantly able to save. He can save you out of the domain of Satan, right? For we were all once children of Satan, energized by the God of this age. So, here, they're courageous in this sense. They're standing true. Even where the shadow of a satanic movement was running the city. He goes on to talk about Thyatira. He says, I I have this against you in verse 20. Uh, You tolerate the woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. And she seduces my servants and leads them into sin. I forgot in Pergamum, they have the same kind of influence going on because they were teaching the teaching of Balaam. I forgot that verse 14. I have a few things against you. Some there hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. There obviously was in this church a movement, a person how widespread we don't know but he said they were teaching just like Balaam. And 2 Peter 2 warns about Balaam kind of teachers. Jude warns against Balaam kind of teaching. What are the teachings of Balaam? 
Numbers describes four attempts of Balaam. Balak, the king of Midian, hires Balaam. He's known as a prophet. I want you to come. I'll give you some money. I want you to pronounce a curse on Israel as they're in their wilderness journey and they're headed for the promised land. Curse them. And four times he tries to do it. Even a donkey withstands him in the road. He, he, he's going on his way and every time he'd start to prophesy and the king would even be there and he starts out in his mind I'm going to put a curse and before you know it he said and God's going to bless you and, and God's going to the, and the king said wait this is not why I hired you Watchmen. You, got, you got the orders mixed up I said curse them and finally Balaam said I can't curse whom God chooses to bless do you think the devil wants to curse this audience? Yes. Who do you think is keeping you from being cursed? If the devil had his way, you'll all be dead before the day's over. He comes to kill and destroy. The devil wants to kill your marriage, kill your kids, and kill you. He hates you. Get that straight. We have someone that is a mortal enemy. But guess what? We got a legal defender who's telling the devil what he can do and can't do. And he restrains him. He restrains him. He wanted to kill Job. And God stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. You'll get him where he wants to die, but I won't let you kill him. Because I'm going to heal him eventually and restore him. But what did Balaam do? He met with the king. And he said, you know what? Since we can't curse this uh, nation, why don't we corrupt them? I'll sell you an idea. Get the women of Midian to dress seductively, wear some midnight and Midian perfume, and be on the edge of the camp, and these viral Jewish men are going to lust for them. And if we can get them to sin, God will kill them anyway. 24,000 men were killed at Baal of Peor, Numbers 23. And it's even recorded in Deuteronomy. Joshua them never forgot that this low-down prophet sold the king an idea to get them killed. And he said, you've got people there that are leading my people into immorality and into idolatry. And it's going to make me come in. And if I have to discipline them to death, I will. They're killing my church by seducing it to sin. Who's seducing you? Anybody seducing you to sin, to idolatry? I'll tell you what's seducing you, that thing you call a phone that you just got to have. You don't have to go to the brothel, just own a phone. You got all the sin you can stand right there. Just got to find out where everything is. You see all the nudity you want, all the perversion, all the immorality, everything. And it's right there. And of course your children need a phone by the time they're 12 to stay in touch. Guess what, honey? They're in touch with more than you. Be seduced. Be seduced. Get us where we're dirty. Get us where we're in sin. Get us where God has to discipline us. Where God has to grieve in us. Get us where God can't work through us because he's got to work on us. Watch, there's people there 
that are seducing you like the Nicolaitans, like the Balaam teachers. And he warns them in Thyatira of the same kind of thing. We come to Sardis, and he says of Sardis, you know what? You've got a great reputation. But right now, in reality, you're dead. Matter of fact, he said, when are you going to wake up? When are you going to start acting alive towards me now? And that is a scary thing. I think of us 47 years together that the Bible's been taught. People have prayed. People have given their money. People have served. On and on. And uh, you think you can live on your reputation? You can't. It's wonderful. When we went through the scandal that we underwent for about three years ago and lost 150 people and thousands of dollars of financial support, one pastor told me, he said, had you not had a reputation that would have buried your church when they blasted on the evening news, when they put it in the newspaper that you have been invaded by those who are seducing your children, said, that buries the church. He said, maybe your reputation will see you through. Well, something about a reputation. It takes a lifetime to earn it, and you're going to lose it in a day. One day. And God in his grace has been healing us for coming back. I thank God for our youth workers and our youth ministry and all you faithful, godly people that are protecting our children. God bless you. But what you were doesn't mean it's what you are. You got a name. You got a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. He goes to Philadelphia, a church that he commends. And his commendation of them is very simple. He said, one thing, I know your strength is little. Then he says, but you've not denied my name and you've kept my word. That's basically all. He didn't say you have a big building. You got lots of money. No, 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 no. I know you've got little strength. It's a word, asthenes. You have no strength. You're not impressive physically. Uh, materially external you're, you're, you're a weak group that's what Jesus but you know what weakness doesn't bother Jesus it bothers you he's been working with weak folks for a long time but two things he does look for what do you think of my name and will you keep my word see it's interesting if you study the history of liberalism I'm talking about church liberalism and fundamentals in this church. The liberals always get the property because the fundamentalists usually move out of an apostate church and they're always starting out in another Grange Hall, some storefront. They always look poor on the economic because they leave the liberals. You can have the property. Menlo Park Press just had to pay the Presbyterian Convention millions of dollars to buy the property back from the Presbyterian denomination because they were going liberal and Menlo Park says, we're not going liberal, we'll buy the property from you. We're going to leave here paying you off 
because we're going to preach Christ and preach the Bible. And you're listening to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we close out our broadcast today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the program encourages you in Christ and how this program is being used by you on a daily basis. Are we just a normal part of your radio listening? Do you tap into our resources available at our website? Have you visited our church? These are things we would love to hear from you. Take a moment, call or write to us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. You're also welcome to visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Take advantage of the resource materials I mentioned a moment ago. We have several. Again, truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also find information about Valley Bible Church right there as well, who we are, what we believe, worship times, services, and directions to the church. We'd love to have you join us, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Again, that's truthfortodayradio.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And then, as we conclude our time together today, we would also invite you to partner with us. This radio broadcast and the many resources that accompany it are available as you partner with us, as you link arms with us financially and prayerfully. No gift is too small, no gift is too large, and you can do a one-time gift or make monthly pledges. No matter, we'd love to have you be a partner with us as we continue to minister the gospel of Christ to the Bay Area and beyond. So contact us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. And you can also donate online at truthfortodayradio.org. That's truthfortodayradio.org. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today. Today.